Hello, and welcome to The Feedcast, a monthly podcast created and sponsored by Relay Network. As the feed technology pioneers, Relay Network feeds harness the engagement power of social and news feeds for businesses and the people they serve. I'm your host, Tricia Gabberty, and in The Feedcast, we will hear from cross-industry experts who will share their approach to driving meaningful and powerful customer engagement. In under 30 minutes, you'll gain usable insights and strategies from informative discussions with curated subject matter experts. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Feedcast podcast. Today, I am joined by another amazing guest, Mr. Jim Tincher, CEO of the consulting firm Heart of the Customer. Jim sees the world in a special way, through the eyes of customers. This lifelong passion for customer experience and a thirst for knowledge led him to found his journey mapping and customer experience consulting firm, Heart of the Customer. Heart of the Customer's journey maps and proprietary processes set the bar for best practices and are emulated throughout the industry. Prior to launching the company, Jim led customer engagement initiatives at Best Buy and United Health Group. Over the decades, he has honed his expertise, continually finding new ways to harness the voice of the customer to identify unmet needs, to develop new products, and to improve customer service. He is the author of Do B2B Better and co-author of How Hard Is It to Be Your Customer? I love that title. And he also writes Heart of the Customer's popular CX blog. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thank you, Trisha. Appreciate it. I, I love that. How hard is it to be your customer? And I can only imagine how many people sort of cringe when they even see that title and think about how it applies to their own businesses. Oh, yeah. We get a lot of, a lot of people reach out to us and say, yeah, it's really hard to work with us. And uh, <laughs> that's what we help expose and help understand why is it hard to work with them, where, and what can they do about mm-hmm. it? That's kind of it in a nutshell. So um, I'm going to jump right into it. I know in a previous conversation, you shared that you started out more as a product guy, product development, product design. So what compelled you to make that leap from product design and development to wanting to better the customer experience? Well, I started out in small business doing product there. And customer experience and product design, to me, were really one and the same. It's a little bit different aspect, but you built your products around customers. And uh, Best Buy, very similar there. And then I went to a large health insurance organization and we had the most complex products on the marketplace. And when I looked into why that was, it was because literally nobody in product development, product design, product management had ever met a client. That wasn't rewarded. That wasn't expected. Mm -hmm. And it was okay with them, but it wasn't okay with me. And uh, I remember saying, we've got to get out and talk to customers more. And the feedback I got was, well, Jim, we don't have to talk to customers. We are customers. Well, yeah, the most biased, oddball customers <laughs> on the planet. We knew too much. And so I say client and customer should be specific. We sold health savings accounts to an employer, which was a client, who then provided them for their employees, mm-hmm. which was the customer. And Having never met any clients, we were building the products that we wanted to buy. And we wanted to buy super complex products because we knew so much. The average consumer would spend about an hour, a quarter, focused on our product. We spent eight to 10 hours a day. And so, Tricia, I don't know if you have a health savings account. Yes, I've had one in the past. Yep. My guess is you didn't spend a lot of time thinking about all the intricacies of the product. No. No, but we did. And that's where I really got the bug for customer experience. It was a new phrase at the time. And I just fell in love with it and really said, okay, we can really improve the business 
through building it around what our actual customers really need in the product. It's kind of so simple, but yet it's so easily missed. And I mean, way back when you know, websites started going up. I'm seeing it, honestly, Jim, even now with um, startups. So with new websites, it wasn't really user-friendly, right? They were pouring their catalog onto the internet or not really considering the user experience because, again, they were coders, they're designers, they're tech people who are used to, and they know the keyboard like the back of their hand and these control functions that you and I don't know. And similarly, I'm seeing with some startups that I'll meet with that when I go to their website, it's like they're starting in the middle of the book. Right, right. It's it's like, wait a minute, I don't even see what your landing page where you're slowly reeling me into the experience. So I think that that's fascinating that you realize that as a product person, that wait a second, we've been designing for ourselves or they have been designing for themselves instead of taking it out to the experience. And there were ramifications of that. We led the nation in sales. No, that's great. We also led the nation in the percentage of customers churning. Go team. So we would bring in all these customers to the front door, but we had a whole bunch going out the back door as well because, again, the product was too complex. Mm -hmm. So we had a great sales organization and we were growing, but how much more could we have grown if we were able to retain our customers by building around what they need? One of the things that was fascinating is go back to your days of health savings accounts. We all thought you would want to know pricing options Mm -hmm. to be able to choose a high fee, high interest, low fee, low interest. And so we built a whole product around it. And um, what was interesting, first of all, is that nobody actually wants that. They don't want to think about it. Literally 98.5% of people, either we got the product right for 98.5% of the people or the 98.5% of people didn't care, which I think is more the point. So we spent a million dollars building that opportunity for you to change your pricing that nobody wanted. And then we discovered is actually sales was limiting who actually saw that. So you have product investing over here, building these options and sales actively taking them away because of the feedback they're getting from customers. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask because I've worked in many large organizations like the ones you describe. And you know, as part of marketing's role, we would do these voice of the customer research programs or initiatives a couple of times a year or every other year, and then report all those findings back to sales and to product. And it either was met with surprise or indifference. And I just wonder how much of that did you encounter? You know, as you're just saying, sales sort of filtered out what they wanted to share back or, or, you know, sold what they knew would sell without really bringing in sort of the bells and whistles that all these guys were back there, you know, happily building in in the product department. Well, it was hard to get that message through. And that really informed what we do now is that in those days, yes, I ran a study. I would share with them saying, hey, here are the problems. It was interesting because I asked each department for the hypothesis of what was the biggest driver of consumer satisfaction. And product thought it was about having these options. You know, pricing options, investment options, being able to have multiple accounts on one debit card. Mm-hmm. Marketing thought is all about education, knowing how you can spend the money and how you can put the money in the account. The number one need of customers was, I'd like to log into my website. That's what they wanted. They couldn't log in the website. Something simple, yeah. right? And it was because if you forgot your password, you needed to use that 16-digit 
ID you oh, got gosh. when you first signed up for the account that is somewhere in a pile somewhere or else been recycled. Mm -hmm. But the product team and the marketing team, the sales, they didn't ever have to do that because they logged into the account every day. They never forgot what their password was. Right. Now, this has been 12 years. We didn't have LastPass or other password right, managers right. then, uh, which takes care of some of that issue today. But that was the first thing people want is I just like to log into the website. So what we've learned from that, those days of getting crosses, now when we do work of that type, uh, rather than outsourcing it to hard of the customer or just the customer experience, we involve the sales and the product and the marketing teams to actually talk with their customers, to be part of the interviews, so that I don't have to tell them what the results were. They heard them firsthand. And so now we have these advocates inside the organization. Of course, we don't bring the entire product team or the entire marketing team, but by having representatives from all those critical capabilities, including IT, you know, operations, now we have these advocates inside the organization who heard it from customers firsthand. I love that idea because I was going to say, you know, having gone through some of these initiatives before, I think what they suffered from is possibly sibling rivalry. Right. Oh, yeah. So if marketing and research are out doing these uh, the, these research projects and then they come back, here's what the voice of the customer said and sales is going to roll their eyes and say, well, it's in the messaging and product will say, well, it's sales not getting the story straight. And it, it will go round and round as we all do inside the walls, which is why we turn to firms like yours from the outside to give us an, an unbiased view. But I think the idea of having skin in the game from every one of those roles as you journey through the customer journey and the customer experience, right, it's going to lend all of them a little bit more of an enlightened experience. And there's no room for me to point fingers. It's the other role or it's the other discipline. It's, it's sales, it's product, it's whoever that's missing the boat here because we're all going to get called out on what we're meeting and not meeting, right? Exactly. And, and we do this, we bring back videos of the customer sharing what's working well, what isn't. And I remember one of our clients, very specifically, second day of a two-day workshop. They started out by saying, hey, we all did this. This is all of us combined who created this horrible outcome for our customers. And the only way it's going to get better is if all of us work together to improve it. I wish I'd gotten a video of him saying that because that was perfect because that is exactly right. And there's something about the literal voice of the customer captured on video that really captures the heart and minds, hearts and minds of the employees. And that's just, you know, it's funny. So Tricia, if you were there in the interview with me, even at the report, you're still just rapidly paying attention to that video. I'm like, but, but you were there the first time, but it doesn't matter. You just seeing the customers sharing what's working well and what isn't, it's intoxicating. I can only imagine. And I have to say, though, and I think you'd agree, and most listeners would agree, it all starts from the top, right? And you have to have that buy-in and that advocacy from the CEO and the whole C-suite. Along my path, I've encountered certain CEOs who would say, no, they went to the wrong customers. Or, right. you know, you kind of, they, they're looking for that bias because it's almost as if they personalize this feedback, that it's a bad reflection on them. And, it, and it's not. It's just that, hey, there's gaps and rooms for improvement here. Why would we not fix it? Which brings me to my other question. I've worked at many large organizations. And I can say without exaggeration, 
every single one, large and small actually, within my 10 years within these organizations, there was always at least one year where this year the priority is customer focus. It's the year of the customer. And I always would scratch my head and say, why would it not be every day the uh, <laughs> customer focus day, right? And, and I guess I just want to hear from you, having done this and done these engagements for so long, at what point do companies sort of move away? Like how, how, what happens that sort of shifts their focus and attention away from the customer so that it does all of a sudden become, uh-oh, an area of crisis or an area, like you're saying, of churn where we got them in and now they're going out the other side. Is it because they focus more on a volume game? Well, it's largely because it's not in their face every day. And so if you look at, pick your favorite organization, if you look at, well, a retailer, it's relatively easy to see that experience the retailers, but not through the customer's eyes typically. You can go walk this door, but you know where everything is. So the wayfinding is poor. It doesn't hit you because you know how to find everything. Mm-hmm. And that's in retail, the most in-your-face experience out there. Imagine if you work for a software company. Well, you don't see all the effort. One of our clients, mission-critical software, if you forgot your password, you submit the change form. They send an email back saying, we will get back to you within 24 to 72 hours. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, that's obviously terrible, but nobody in the organization sees that. Mm-hmm. The CEO couldn't believe that that was being done because nobody said, hey, CEO, we're creating this form. They'll say, we'll get back to people in three days to lose a password. No, nobody sees that. One of my favorite books, hard to read, is Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. And one of his concepts is what you see is all there is. What he means by that is when you are making a decision, what you see in your day-to-day experience is all there is to guide you. And so if you are not regularly talking with customers, if your organization has not brought that customer mindset in front of you, then you don't use it to make your decisions. That typically is why this will be the year of the customer. This is the year we'll focus on really bringing the voice of the customer inside. You're right, that's not gonna create sustainable change. Every year it needs to be the year of the customer. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we've seen in customer experience where it goes wrong is when customer experience is defined as a survey. Net promoter score is a common one, customer satisfaction, Mm -hmm. customer effort score. That's not customer experience. That's a measurement. Customer experience is a business discipline where you understand what are your customers going through? What are their biggest benefits and challenges? And that is incorporated into your decision-making. Now, a score helps you know how you're doing, but it's such a small part of customer experience. But a lot of organizations seem to think that this net promoter score is the be-all, end-all. It's an important part of it. But what customer experience is, is what decisions you make and is it informed by what the customer needs? Right. And it's interesting. And I don't want to sound like I'm completely bashing (laughs) the executive level, (laughs) but you're absolutely spot on, right? Because it doesn't have to do with that day-to-day tactic. For instance, I worked with someone once who refused to let his team put out-of-office emails up because you need to be available 24-7. 
And I thought to myself, well, it doesn't matter because even if they are available 24-7, half of them aren't even responding to customers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, they're on vacation when they're not on vacation. But I think also, right, that as the company grows, you want to retain as many customers, but then, you know, maybe you're large enough to have a board. And when that board gets involved in stockholders, you really need to watch your cost of goods. You have to watch your cost of services. You have to watch the talent acquisition. You've got so many different things to keep your eyes on, you know, and it's always a volume game, right? And pricing oh, yeah. and getting new products out to market. And I think you can get so far away from used to be that 80-20 rule, right? That 20% giving 80% of your business. So I think just having that day-to-day focus, as you said, it's just, it has to be ingrained into the culture. Well, very much so. Now, IBM did a study, they do it every year, where they ask CEOs, which executives will you rely upon most in the next year? And the latest data I've seen is 2021. And the answer was the CFO and the COO, they're one point uh, separated. CMO, the chief marketing officer, was way down the list, 14%. I think it was 66% or 56% were the CFO, one point below COO, market way down. Chief customer officer didn't even make the mm-hmm. list. Well, that makes sense. What gets you fired as a CEO? High costs and low profitability. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to spend your time. And the mistake we see many made who want to promote the customer experience, who want to create a better experience for customers, is they're talking to marketing. And a lot of times they say, well, executives just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Well, they do get it. But what they also get is we need to have a healthy company. And if you are not able to get your voice heard about listening to customers, it's because you haven't connected it to a healthy company. Mm-hmm. Number one recommendation for anybody in customer experience is spend a lot of time with finance and operations because they're who typically drive the organization. And if you can't help your executives understand why focusing on customers creates a healthier company, then the failure is on you. It's not your executives don't get it. It's that you haven't tied it to what they care about. Right. The CEO wants to keep his or her job. And the way they do that is through, again, revenue and lower costs. And so sales may get there, but um, CFO is big because they're reporting on the numbers and COO is getting things out the door. Right. You need to create advocates out of them. That's how you get the CEOs on board. So in writing my book, Do Be To Be Better, we interviewed over 200 customer experience leaders. I would ask them first, if I were to ask you if the customer experience is getting better or worse, how would you answer it? And the majority said surveys, okay. How would your CEO answer it? Um, I guess the same surveys. I don't know about your CEOs, Tricia. My CEOs I've worked for don't spend a lot of time looking at survey results. It's not where they are. Well, then I asked them the third question is, is what would your favorite finance person, how would he or she answer that same question? And I got these blank looks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And one even said, well, Jim, you're assuming I know somebody from finance. Oh, Oh, yeah, you got me there with that assumption. I did assume you knew somebody from finance. (laughs) Uh, But I since realized that most of the people who are advocating for a better customer experience are only talking to the friendlies. They're not reaching out to operations, not reaching out to finance, those who have the influence and connecting a better customer experience to 
better operations or better financials. Mm -hmm. That's the first step of a change maker is to connect everything they do to a healthier organization. I agree. And it's interesting, you know, having gone through marketing in my career and watching the evolution of the CMO, you know, as I continued to go up in my career, we were making inroads and finally getting a seat at the table for marketing because they would always bring you in halfway through their meetings, you know, to talk about what's the latest ad campaign. I was like, oh gosh, we do so much more than that. And we can do more than that, right? We're supposed to be, you know, an extension of all of you. But I did find in the last 10 to 15 years, um, the ability to sit at the table with those COOs that you're talking about, CFOs, and really start making those conversations happen one-on-one. And instead of walking in and presenting, walking in and asking, Right, because they they want to feel they are more than just keeping the lights on or counting the pennies. Right, they want they want you to know what goes behind their work. So I think that empathy I think also helps to kind of get the conversation going and helping to bring them over to your side to say this is what we're going to need to keep the lights on to keep that money coming in is to keep the customer experience a good one. One of the other things that I thought of as you were talking was um, years ago, I was actually a vendor that I used and they had a program called the customer among us. And um, yes. And what they would do is they would bring a customer in to sit for a couple of days among their operation to better understand what part of the operation appealed to them or let them know what we have behind the curtain besides what we're servicing you with now. And then they would ask for the reverse and they would have their account executive sit among your team for about a month so that they could understand day to day what fire drills you're battling, what relationships you're trying to sort of nurture with, with other departments and sales, operations, purchasing, et cetera. It left an impression with me because I thought that's a small company that gets the customer experience right. And they never grew to be this amazingly large company, but they retained customers for years because of that approach. Love it. And can you share, you know, we talk customer experience. Where where does it start? Is it with the customer journey mapping? Because I know many companies will set out to do the personas. And I've seen them, and many of them do them very, very well, very complex, sophisticated personas. And then I never see anything after that. Right. Can you just expand a little bit more on that, on how many companies you feel are really getting it right in terms of going past the personas and the customer journey mapping? Because I find the mapping to be very intriguing, and I think our audience would like to hear a little bit more about that as well. Well, we did some research on this a few years back, and we found, as you say, Two-thirds of organizations that do journey mapping were not happy with the results. And we asked why, because nothing changed. Hmm. So two-thirds of the time when journey map happens, nothing changes. Now, this may sound a little bit like I'm on uh, a loop here, but we discovered five questions that if you don't answer these five questions, your journey map is probably doomed to fail. And the first one starts with, what's the business problem you're trying to solve? Mm Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Because if you don't start with that, then you might be going after things that don't matter to the business and you won't get the resources. So start with that and answer it as if you were the CFO. Is it customer churn? Is it how do we sell more to our customers? So it's a little bit counterintuitive to start with the inside, start with our problem, but that's how you get the resources. Okay. 
And that's the first thing we, first question we ask a prospective client, we actually put on a design session for an hour. And we'll talk about how are we going to see benefit here? What's it going to be? Because often we had a call from clients say, we want to do journey mapping. Say, great, what do you want to map? We want to map the customer journey. Okay, got that. That That's what the journey map is about. Okay, but which journey, which customers? So that's the set question number two and three. Start the business problem. That helps you to say, okay, here's the right journey and here's the right customer. Uh, we did some other research three years ago where we looked at the change makers. Now, the change makers are those 22% of companies that can show that they're actually creating a stronger company through customer experience, not even one out of four. And they were far more likely to have begun with the end-to-end experience. Let's go broad. Let's look for everything from when they first sell to them all the way through renewal. It varies by different types of industries. Mm -hmm. And then they come back and do 50% more journey mapping overall. Wow. But So you start with that, what's the business problem trying to solve? What's the right journey? Who's the right customer? Then we go into what's the right approach to get the voice of the customer. That's usually ours to answer. And then the most important question is who's on the team. Hmm. But that's the last question we answer because if we want to understand the pre-sales journey, we need different people. We want to understand onboarding, which is different if we want to look at complaints. Um, so it's the last one, but it's the most important one because if, Tricia, you're in charge of digital and I go and I do this journey mapping work, you know, we're peers, and I come back and say, hey, Tricia, See this terrible red part of the journey, the awful, awful part? Yeah, that's your department. Can you please do better? <laughs> that's not a great conversation. That, that doesn't go well. No, no, that does not win friends. But if you're there instead, hearing firsthand from the customers about how hard it is to work with the digital tools and how they can answer the questions they have to call anyway, well, you don't need me to tell you to change. You're motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. So we found that it involves a lot of change management to be successful. Okay. I just want to make sure I got all five. It's what's the business problem? Yep. What journey? And so which yep. customers? The number three was who's the right customer? So what's the right business problem? What's the right journey? Who's the right customer? Okay. What's the right approach to the voice of the customer? Mm-hmm. And then lastly, who's on the team? And sometimes the teams can go one of two ways. Right. You're either going to forget someone or you're going to have way too many people so that nothing gets done. And there may be political selections sitting at that table. (laughs) There can be. Yes. Uh, But we generally default on too large Mm -hmm. because um, we get a lot of people say, well, we want to keep the team small and nimble so we can get done faster. Well, if your goal is to create a map, hey, that's a great approach. But if your goal is to change things, I'd rather have too many people on the team within reason uh, so that you get sure that you're hitting all the different touch points, you're breaking down the silos. And I think to your very first point, it's all about the change, right? You have to have that endorsement from the top. And again, the one thing that drove me crazy was, you know, the calendar would flip or a management change would happen. And all of a sudden, well, what happened to the customer journey mapping that we were doing? Or what <laughs> happened to the focus on the customer? Right. Yep. And I think that that is something that definitely has to go through the DNA of the company and it has to start from the top. So, what companies have you seen? And I don't know if you can give names, but even just from your own opinion, experience, observations, what, what companies do you think are getting it right? Do you think? Well, I like to avoid the common examples. 
in Do Be To Be Better, I wrote about um, three organizations that were not where you would expect to find great customer experience. Dow, the chemical company. Hmm. Nobody would think that Dow would be great, but they have done an amazing job and have really created a customer experience revolution led from the CEO, Jim Fitterling, who said, we will be the most customer-centric advanced uh, manufacturing company on the planet. Hmm. So he said that as a, this is where we're going to go. Haggerty. Haggerty is a car enthusiast lifestyle brand. Mm -hmm. They sell insurance, other products. They focus on creating happy customers. And uh, so it is fascinating to hear about their focus on the emotional outcome of customers. UKG is a software company. They do payroll and other benefits related software. And they focus on creating confident customers. And they've done an amazing job of really thinking about the customer experience from end to end. So those are three I commonly use Mm -hmm. that really bring together all the different pieces of a great customer experience. I think there probably are even more hidden gems out there. Oh, yeah. Because I sometimes become a bit wary when I see the, you know, the 2023 winner of the Customer Experience Award. And I think, hmm... Is that true or not true? But I think that some may be just more modest and they don't, they're busy focusing on the customer and they don't have maybe the resources to go ahead and enter those contests. Well, I got a lot of great stories from those. So Hydro-Quebec, they're actually Mm -hmm. a monopoly, uh, a water-based utilities, you would guess, in Quebec. And they focused on creating a customer experience revolution inside their organization. They're a great story. Univar is a chemical distributor. They won several awards in the customer experience uh, awards and focus on we are all CX, how everybody in the organization has a role in creating a great customer experience. So there are a number of great stories out there that you don't hear. Right. No, I I think there are. And I can think of a few myself that I won't get into here. But and then I keep thinking of all the ones that that need your help, Jim. (laughs) Can we just start with the airlines and go from there? Are there any other points that you would like to touch upon that relate either to how is it to be your customer or you're doing B2B better? I like the simplicity of that title, but all that sits behind it, do B2B better. Well, one of the big surprises from the research behind the book, and I didn't start with this as an assumption, is that even in B2B, although my friend Lori Laffin says, especially in B2B, emotions matter. Mm Mm-hmm. And I shared how Haggerty, which is B2B to C, uh, they focus on happiness, that UKG focus on confidence. When I first met Dan Futter, the chief commercial officer at Dow, we were working on their complaints journey. And he told me, Jim, my goal is to create a complaints journey that's enjoyable. And I was trying to keep a straight face, like really an enjoyable chemical complaints journey. Uh, But that was one of the findings is that these great organizations, they create an emotional North Star, one emotion that they focused everything in creating. And Dan can tell you that they measure net promoter score. They measure effectiveness, ease, and enjoyability. And only one of those metrics is related to customers who spend more and stay longer, and that is enjoyability. Hmm. In fact, it's on their public-facing page. Their commitment is to create an experience that's easy, enjoyable, and effective for you. And enjoyable is the one that most leads to loyalty. 
And that makes perfect sense because even if I am complaining, I just want to know I'm being heard. Right, right, exactly. And you can design experience to create that or you can design one that doesn't create that. And so they measure that through enjoyability. And again, they show that that is the best predictor of true loyalty, which is a behavior of buying more and staying longer. And I know that a lot of companies, specifically in the digital channels, are employing more AI and chatbots to try to kind of filter through, you know, what can I do for you today? And we're so used to representative, representative, or I'm typing in agent, agent. Some of them are getting it right. And I think as AI continues to evolve, they'll be able to sort of help us through that path. But I think that that's a really great measure. Uh, You talked a little bit earlier about these different metrics, net promoter score. MPS and others. And to me, those, while good in intention, ended up becoming more vanity metrics at the end. Like, well, where do we stand against the competitors? Where do we fall with our NPS? That's all well and fine for window dressing. But, you know, to keep those customers coming back, this idea of enjoyability, it encompasses so much. The good, the bad, and the other, right? And it, it kind of keeps you on your toes for that. Yeah, we find a lot of groups will use Net Promoter Score because it's popular. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to a health insurance organization, and I said, okay, great. It, does a customer who gives you a high Net Promoter Score, do they stay longer? Well, I don't know. Okay, do they complain less? It lowers the cost of serve. Well, I don't know. Well, why do you use it? Well, we bonus off of it. Mm-hmm. Look, well, you're bonusing off a metric that you don't know what actually matters. Now, Haggerty uses Net Promoter Score, and for them, it matters. They can show a direct connection between increased net promoter score and higher retention and cross-sell. Univar, they can show that when customers go from a detractor to promoter, that they order more from them. And so there are companies that can create those connections. Yeah, and I think that's the golden nugget, right? And and I think most companies, you do need to be data-driven, but you need to be metrics-driven in the right metrics and to be able to connect them, as you've just said, because it appeases people who are a little bit more, but he's going to ask about this. Yes, we can show how many visitors there were to the website, however, or click-throughs, but here's what he really or she should really know. And that's probably what's keeping those numbers where they are. So that's a fantastic point. I'm just being mindful of time. We talked about how product development design, and even I would submit other roles, do not always interact or have any interface with clients, with customers, and as a result, can be working in a vacuum thinking that they're doing great. And when they're hearing feedback through their own internal organizations of marketing and sales, kind of giving it half a listen because they're saying, no, it's, it's a good product because they're close to it, which is human nature. But I love the idea of having them being more client focused so that they can understand the customer experience firsthand and hear it. You played that into, that's how you kind of go through the customer journey mapping and and your consulting gigs is to take everybody by the hand to say, let's have a talk with your customer so you too can hear. And there can't be any doubt or kind of finger pointing to other departments, but rather, you know, it's, it's a collaborative group effort. We all heard what we heard. Now, how do we fix it? You shared your five questions which I will leave here for people to go back and listen to the podcast to hear it again. And then just tying together those metrics and bring them back to ones that truly matter, such as enjoyability, you know, measuring the true human factor, that emotion factor. You mentioned earlier, B2B, it's still a human being on the other side. 
It's not a business. <laughs> it's not a brick and mortar structure, right. you know, or a program. It's an actual person who's responsible for carrying out whatever it is they're doing. So their experience has to be the same and as seamless from a business role as it is in their consumer life, right? Yeah, well, I'll leave with one last message here, which is that a lot of people think that the B2B relationship is more price-driven, but there's actually no more important emotional relationship in your life than your business vendors. If somebody chooses the wrong phone, yeah, that'll be annoying. You know, they get uh, the, the wrong Samsung, whatever, that's annoying for a long time. That's a pretty major purchase. They choose the wrong car, yeah, that's annoying for a while. If they choose the wrong business partner, they could lose their job. It can have tremendous impact. And so the emotions are way more critical in a B2B relationship than they are in almost any B2C relationship. It's important to measure them because they matter. And Gartner reported that one of the most important factors in a good quality decision in a B2B purchase is do you trust the person mm -hmm. you're working with? And we all should expect that. We should expect to be able to trust our partners. And notice I don't say vendor. And as the company itself, we need to measure that and see, are we creating that trust with our customers that's critical for us to be successful? I couldn't agree more. Is there anything else that you wanted to add, Jim, before we sign off? I'll just wrap up the fourth actions of a change maker, great organization, is that number one, they actually connect to the financials of the company. Number two, they measure at an emotional North Star and they design against it. They actually look at everything customers are telling you about. We didn't talk much about that, but your customers talk to you every day, even though it failed a survey, through their behaviors. So measure that. And lastly, use change management so the whole organization understands how they impact the customer experience. That is how to bring across that customer experience revolution that goes beyond just being a year and is part of the DNA of your company. I love it. And you did touch on that part only briefly. I wish we had spent a little bit more time about how your customer speaks to you every day in actions and words and how it's always been surprising to me. There's no sort of exit interview. If your customer just doesn't renew, you know, take a look at what those reasons are to do some trend spotting, right? To see what might be behind that. Any thoughts just being in the digital, I'm being digitally minded here because of Relay Network, our producer of this podcast, being that they are primarily in the digital space and in the mobile space specifically, scroll feed technology, is there any formula or thoughts you have in terms of enhancing that experience? It's important to have the right communication technology, but the messaging needs to be a part of that. And that really comes from understanding what is it your customers are valuing, and that comes from spending time with them. Mm -hmm. Really understand. I was actually talking with somebody just before this, a friend of mine who owns a trucking company. And she was building a new product. I said, well, first thing you should do is find five people, three who chose you, two who didn't, and just spend 45 minutes asking them about what they're doing with their lives. What do they value in their business? Don't ask mm -hmm. about yourself. Ask about them. Ask about what their challenges are. And that will give you really critical information to help you make sure you're speaking in a voice and in a message that resonates. Okay. So it really just ties back to putting ourselves in the shoes of the customer. Exactly. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. This was awesome. Thanks, Tricia. I've enjoyed it. It's a, you know, obviously, customer experience is my favorite topic, that and barbecue, <laughs> but we didn't have time for barbecue. So we'll have to come back for barbecue the next time. All right. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jim. You take care. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of The Feedcast, created and produced by Relay Network. 
If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and give Relay Network a follow on LinkedIn. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Relay Network, nor should they be taken as legal advice. We recommend consulting your own legal team when considering your customer engagement strategy and practices.